This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Mancusi, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen to us on all major podcast channels and watch on dbtv.tv. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research for over a decade. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi. The research industry certainly has evolved and continues to evolve. So does consumer behavior. Um, And one way to stay connected to the consumer is to use advanced research methods. To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Laura Eddy, VP of Research and Insights at Realtor.com, and who has led teams in implementing advanced research methods. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, how are you? Doing really well today. How are you? That is great. Doing well also. Good. my trusty coffee here, so I'm amped up and ready to go. <laughs> I've never had enough coffee, so I'm, I'm a little behind you, but I'll try to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> To get us started today, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career as an insights professional? Sure. Um, I've actually been in uh, consumer insights for about, well, over 20 years now, but I started my career actually as a um, biotechnology research scientist. So um, hard science background. I have a master's in microbial engineering in addition to my MBA, some things along those lines. And, um, you know, was really able to transition that skill set of being able to work with a large data set from something like genomics and proteomics into consumer research where that, you know, really um, hardcore data science background has come in handy. And then being able to translate that data into real world business speak to help our stakeholders understand their consumers and customers better to make more informed um, and better business decisions regarding, you know, how to drive, drive business results. Um, I've worked for three of the global fortune five companies, including um, Amazon, Walmart, United Health Group. Actually, I also spent some time with Cargill, the world's largest, or at one point, the world's largest privately held company. So I've kind of been all over the place from traditional CPG to retail to um, now, you know, more of a tech setting. So it's given me a very unique perspective on how to think about consumer and consumer behavior. Wow. I, you know, I talk to a lot of people about how they got into insights. It's always different. I love that. Um, but, but biotech, like, you know, I don't even think it's a different one. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little unique. I, I get that all the time. Like, but let me tell you, it really comes down to people are way more interesting and fascinating than bacteria and yeast. So I'm like, I'm a happy camper. <laughs> I think that's probably true, but I love hearing that path. That's really, really interesting and in how you tie together, you know, what you, what skill sets you were able to carry from one to the other. It's super interesting to me. And I think a lot of um, insights professionals today are, are really grappling with what you described of kind of taking those large data sets and translating them into business conversation. Um, so, you know, that that thread makes a lot of sense to me um, that it would it would tie in so well from one to the other. 
Yeah, I mean, even in the 20 years that I've been doing this, the data sets have grown exponentially mm-hmm. from, you know, what what companies used to have available to, you know, all the inputs that come into a research question now. And it can be really challenging to say, how do I make all of these different sources play together in a way that actually tells a cohesive yet holistic story in a way that's going to, like I said, help my stakeholders or our stakeholders make an informed decision. Um, And, you know, it's not a straightforward process. You really have to be creative and think outside the box to say, how do I take this piece here and this piece here and this learning that we did here and kind of meld it all together um, to get something that is not just useful, but, you know, really kind of helps bring new information to the table and to our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so our topic today, advanced research methods is, you know, is that what, where advanced research methods sort of come in? Like what, what do you describe as an advanced research method? You know, it's, it's a really open term. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it can be anything and everything from, you know, simply advanced analytic techniques and the way we, you know, use modeling and, you know, straight, literally like data science techniques to, you know, some of the things that we try to do in our research group, which includes tying together um, attitudinal inputs with behavioral things that we know, say, how people are behaving on a website or, you know, sometimes it's in a retail store, things along those lines, to also tying in things like unstructured data, whether it's social listening or other freeform data sources that might be available to you. One of the things that we are listening to at Realtor very frequently are, you know, sources that come in that comments that consumers are organically pushing to us or volunteering to us, whether it's, again, through maybe a social media channel or a call center, or even feedback that we're hearing from real estate agents somewhat anecdotally. Like, how do we tie all these pieces together? And they're very disparate, you know, kinds of sources, attitudinal, and being able to tie that to a specific, you know, consumer and knowing their, um, you know, potentially their behavioral um, tendencies on a website or something. And then even potentially tying that to, hey, there was a dissatisfactory experience and they let us know through, you know, a call to a call center or something along those lines, you know, trying to kind of thread all those together is becoming a little bit of an art form, but it doesn't have to be that advanced. Like I said, it can be as straightforward as we're working on, you know, new modeling techniques are coming out all the time. And as a researcher, you have to be able to, you know, kind of stay up to speed on what all that is, but also to be able to re- work with your other research partners, whether it's a data science team, an econ research team, you know, um, hardcore analytics in terms of, you know, maybe like click through, click stream data, um, and being able to marshal all those resources and bring them together into one story. So I don't mean to dodge your question, but it's like <laughs> a little bit of kind of what, what does it mean to you in your org? Um, because it can cover a lot of, a lot of uh, ground. 
for sure. Yeah. yeah. The, it's, you know, the, the methodology could be advanced or like you said, the, the analytics, the data science, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, or if you've had any experience yet with any of the sort of AI chat analytics um, that have come about, I mean, really hot topic in the industry right now of being able to Absolutely. Ask a question to a data set and come up with an answer. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> I am going to punt a little bit and say we are looking at it, but still yeah. evaluating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I work very closely with some of the other, um, like I said, research functions in our organization uh, who are really digging into that a little more um, directly and trying to see, like stress test it. Does this really work the way we think or want it to? But, you know, to be very honest, AI has been used in research, you know, text analytics, those things aren't necessarily new. It's the fact that we have really figured out how to, and I say we as in the royal we, I certainly am not doing this, but there are much smarter people than I doing this, you know, really refining the process and getting better all the time. And I think that's kind of the threshold that we're at right now is you know, there have been algorithms trying to look at especially unstructured data sets for quite some time to say, how do we distill this into something that is a little bit more usable, things like that. But now these AI um, resources have gotten so much, I'm going to say smarter in kind of, you know, quotes here, but really more useful in that they can take in different types of data and integrate them into, you know, in together. And I think that's what we're going to really start to see um, coming into play. And I don't know if we're quite there yet, but I know my team or our organization is certainly trying to see how we can leverage, you know, this new capability, this new refinement uh, in a way that we can really get consumer learnings out of it. Yeah, I think that's common across so many in the industry. It's like, oh, this is interesting. We need to be paying attention to it and experimenting with it. Um, yeah. See what we and can Not to sound jaded, but I think there's also potentially a little bit of, of hesitancy with some of this because, you know, there have been a lot of, a lot of attempts at using AI um, for a number of years. And I know I get vendors come to me with, oh my gosh, we've got this AI technology that does X, Y, Z. And I think there's a knowledge of what this resource could be. But in some cases, you know, sometimes it feels like maybe the um, promise has been maybe a little bit ahead of the actual um, ability to deliver. And so, you know, I think people really want to sit and think about Um, you know, what does this really mean? Is it going to give us true results that we can true, that we really can trust? Um, And I think that's one of the things that there's going to have to just be a little bit of a, you know, it's going to be that adoption curve, you know, it'll hit that, it'll hit that inflection point and it'll take off. I think we're still trying to figure out if we're there yet. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're so right. And, and, you know, there has been a bit of a, an element of AI being a buzzword, right? So it's tough to distinguish between 
true AI hype. that I provide value and something that's hype. Exactly. Exactly. So. Well, we're in wait and see. Um, <laughs> so, you know, in talking about all the different data sources and the different ways that you're kind of bringing all these things together, how do you determine where to go to answer whatever question you have? You know, like you were mentioning, you've got all these disparate places where you're yeah. getting information from, you know, when when you have a really key question that you're trying to answer, answer for the business, how do you know which direction to go in? <laughs> That, that is always the $60,000 question, isn't it? Um, especially as a research team, you know, in our case, we're actually a fairly new function within our organization. And, you know, as a team that's starting out, well, to be honest, I don't think I've ever been on a research team at any company that has had all the resources that we have wanted or needed to answer all of the questions that come to us. So, you know, you really have to be on top of prioritization of, you know, the question, what is the impact of, you know, the result that you're going to get? What is the decision being made? So on and so forth. And that's really one thing that I work, you know, with my team to try to make sure that we've assessed up front, you know, before we dig into how do we answer this question? Um, you know, one of the things when I was at Amazon that we used to always talk about, and I believe they still do, is really this idea of a two-way door. You know, if, if it's a two-way door, you know, something that if you make a decision, you go forward and it doesn't work out, you can back out of without um, really hampering the consumer experience or negatively affecting the business, you need a much lower sense of fidelity in, you know, how you answer that question. You can answer it with maybe, say, a 80% confidence level, as opposed to, you know, if it's something that is a one-way door, i.e., you know, you can't back out of it easily, or it's going to be really disruptive if you set something up and then, you know, decide it doesn't work, something along those lines. You know, that's something where you really want to take that, take that time and say, let's make sure we are looking at this, you know, in not just a qualitative way, but that we're fully quantifying you know, this information, and we have a high confidence level in terms of how we've stat tested and things along those lines. So I try to make sure that we work with our stakeholders when they do come to us with a question to say, you know, really, what's the decision being made? What's the impact of this? Do you need this at a, I can make a decision if I have 80% of the picture, or I really need to be sure of what's going on before, um, you know, we move forward. And so I think that's actually a really key, key piece of how you answer that, how you answer a research question and what sort of um, data source you might use. You know, if it's something scrappy, can you go in and run a quick survey in an omnibus or an online research community? Or do you really need to do an in-depth, you know, quantitative ANU with a sample size of 15,000 people, mm. you know, whatever it is to answer something. And so, you know, really that's, that's the first, that's our first kind of, I'll call it stage gate when we think about, you know, deciding what sort of source and what sort of approach we're going to take to answering a question. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It depends on how confident you need to be in that decision or or if a decision's even being made off that piece of research, right? Right. Oh, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, I get and I'm 
going to throw our C-suite under the bus, but, you know, an executive, hey, it'd be really interesting to know. And I'm like, yes, it would be interesting to know. What would you like us to take off the plate, uh, you know, in order to, to answer this? And in some cases, you know, you might not have to make that call quite as black and white. You know, there's a whole source of things that I think as researchers sometimes can be overlooked in, A, did we mine work that's been done in the past? Or quite frankly, what's out there in the secondary work? You know, you've got all kinds of sources that can help you answer things where you don't need to reinvent the wheel, whether it's leveraging, you know, something like a Statista or census metrics, you know, um, Harris polls, all kinds of things along those lines. And I think, you know, sometimes as researchers, we want to be like, but we need to have run it to have vetted it and things like that. And in some cases, no, that secondary information is perfectly good, you know, to for the level of fidelity that you need or your stakeholder needs to answer that question. And, you know, we've got to be open-minded about, you know, what we use in order to get the most, most work done for our um, you know, respective businesses. Yeah, for sure. And the, the point you made too about mining what you already have, I mean, so many teams are repeating the same research over and over, you know, if it's not easily accessible, right? Or it is, it is a very, very real challenge. And that's actually one of the things I grapple with the most is knowledge management. How do we exactly what you said? How do we know what's already been done and get our hands on it? Um, yeah. I can't tell you the number of studies I've lost because, you know, a researcher has moved on and hadn't had, you know, the work that they had done in a team drive or, you know, something along those lines. And when the laptop is like, oh. yes. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I can only imagine. And, you know, I'm curious, this isn't maybe specific to advanced research methods, but just in terms of you know, where you are today at Realtor and what's happening out in the world and the housing yeah. market, which is so up and down, you know, yeah. what are some of those themes that you guys are really curious about these days and, and, and wanting to, to get sure. that back on? It is such a fascinating subject. And actually, um, one of the reasons why I, I love being in real estate, I actually had worked for Zillow for four years, took a bit of a hiatus, went back to retail, and have now come back to real estate because this is such an emotional space for people. And it's somewhat subconsciously um, emotional. Like literally, it is one of the few things that you as a human that you go through that hits on every level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs from basic shelter all the way through self-actualization. And so regardless of how consciously you think about, you know, the decision, a lot of people think of it in terms of, you know, financial um, viewpoints, things along those lines. But subconsciously, this is hugely emotional space for most folks. And you add on top of this, for most people, um, especially if they're buying or selling, it does tend to be one of the largest financial transactions they've made to this point in their life. So, you know, the human brain has actually evolved to when you're making a decision that has such a huge outlay of resources, like pain receptors start firing in your brain to be like, caution, you know. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, you've got this component of, for most folks, 
you're only going through a transaction like this, assuming buy, sell, renting, you're going through much more often. But if you're buying, selling, on average, it's only about once every seven to 13 years, depending on your life stage. And so all these things are working together in your brain to make a consumer, you know, like you and me feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing here. There's a lot riding on this if I make the wrong decision. And now in this current market, there's been all this overlay of uncertainty of what is going on. Um, you know, one of the interesting things to keep in mind is that, you know, the last generation that saw mortgage rates north of 6% was Gen X. So, you know, millennials, you know, the up and coming Gen Zers, those groups have never been in an environment um, like this. And it looks incredibly scary. And so, you know, what some of the things that we're seeing are people being very cautious, much more than even, you know, prior generations had been, you know, in some of these states. They're going through the process of buying and selling in a more drawn out um, process. They might um, sell a house and actually end up in a situation where they're in kind of an interim um, housing situation. You know, during the pandemic, people might have been like, hey, I'm going to go Airbnb on the you know, beach in Costa Rica for a mm. few months. Uh, you know, because I can. And then they find themselves coming back to the market and it's an entirely different playing field. Like, oh my gosh, now I can't find something that I can afford to buy. And I'm in this weird hiatus, no man's land, and I'm not quite sure what to do. And so, you know, this uncertainty is really affecting not just how people are making that transition of buying or selling, but also, you know, the emotional highs and lows and that they're dealing with with some of these things, you know. Um, there are some very well-known studies that Zillow's put out, you know, talking about the negative emotions. You know, last summer, there was a um, press release that they did talking about 50% of people crying during the real estate transition process. And, you know, what we're seeing from the realtor side is that anxiety is still very high. In fact, it's getting amped up. And, you know, what our business is trying to figure out is like, how do we help take some of that anxiety out? How do we help real estate agents, you know, convey empathy, you know, this idea of we're in this with you, you know, this sucks, but we can get through it, you know, as a team, people still need a place to live. There is still a, you know, three year dearth or, you know, um, lag in housing availability to population growth. So, you know, there are fewer houses available than the population needs um, right now. And that's not going to change in the near future. Um, and with affordability, um, making things more challenging, interest rates being high, you know, people are going into this just almost like bunker mentality of, oh my gosh, how do I navigate this? And like I said, bringing that information not only to our real estate agents that work with us, how do we make them smarter, but as a website um, and a tool, how do we help people find more equitable solutions? How do we help people find um, assistance, connect them with the resources they need to get through that uncertainty and feel good um, about 
their um, decisions that they're making in this incredibly emotionally important space. Yeah, this is all super interesting. Um, I just, it's so so funny. I just had a conversation with someone else on the show about the um, emotional purchase and, you know, Mm. try to kind of map the buyer journey. And it wasn't something nearly as emotional as a, as a home buy, but, you know, certainly like, that's just in general baseline. We make decisions emotionally. Right. We buy every day. And so you're experiencing that too. And the <laughs> like 10th power or more. And this is about as high as it gets. <laughs> right. I, res- I love that, that stat. 50% of people cry during the real estate. Like, that's yeah. not shocking to me at all. But that level of anxiety. And, and it's really interesting to me to hear you talk about really the audience for the insights or yeah. like what you're doing with it, like bringing that information to realtors so that they can you know, change their behaviors or how it impacts the web presence or, you know, is there anyone else in that um, that's missing from that list of people? I know you, you talked about your C-suite earlier of like some of the audience for your insights. Um, where else do that, does that information go sure. up? Well, I am a big believer and hope that it gets reflected in my team that, you know, insights and research should be very democratic. Um you know, we share our information with, you know, other research teams. Like I said, we partner closely with, say, like our econ uh, research team and, um, you know, our data analytics team, our um, website analytics team, all of these groups. So they're all ingesting this information to, you know, not only help them um, explain what they might be seeing in their data, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, that quantitative uh, work that an analytics team might, you know, come up with tells you the what happened. An insights team is going to tell you why these things happened and really help help an organization understand, say, root causes of issues that might be um, might be, you know, elucidated in the consumer experience or things like that. Additionally, that why is the nuance that you need to say, how do we go in and fix this in an effective way? So we work very closely with the product teams to say, let's build something that's going to address the um, underlying need um, here. We work with the marketing teams to say, how do we then talk about these things in a way that's going to resonate, You know, not just with customers, like I said, when we say customers, we mean real estate agents, um, people who are in real estate um, professionally, help you better connect with consumers. But we as a website are also interacting directly with consumers as well. And how can we convey that idea of trust and empathy through something that is inherently not, you know, not human? It's a technology product. And so it's, it's a very nuanced and um, interdependent a list of stakeholders that, you know, we try to work with to deliver those insights to. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's super interesting. And I guess um, also on the flip side of that, who are you typically focused on getting the insights from? Like, are you doing um, interviews with realtors or with the consumers directly, both quantitative, qualitative, all the advanced methods? (laughs) 
all the advanced methods. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that is changing a little bit at Realtor, um, you know, with the um, C-suite that we have in place with David Doctorow, you know, Mickey Newberger, our um, CMO, they've really, really embraced this idea of the consumer is everybody. Housing affects everyone. Whether you are a renter and getting your first apartment, you know, eventually that person has a fairly high likelihood of at least aspiring to be a home buyer. And, you know, you've got people with growing families who are going to be upsizing and you've got, you know, older generations that are downsizing and you have people who are, you know, they've owned a home for quite some time and they might be using a you know, site like realtor.com to help them understand um, the value of their home, the equity they have, or what the impact of, say, doing a renovation uh, might be. So, you know, we've actually transitioned as a research team from focusing very closely on, say, buyers, specifically maybe first-time home buyers, to thinking about, um, you know, the consumer as a much broader um, group, you know, and same thing for, you know, real estate agents. Very rarely does someone purchase a home or sell a home for that matter by themselves. Very, very frequently there's a real estate agent involved. And so, you know, actually that brings a level of complexity to our industry in particular that other industries might not see and makes that advanced, um, you know, methodology so much more important. You know, you're aligning a journey of someone who is buying a home with the journey of a real estate agent who is trying to either help that person navigate the process or is selling a home, something like that. And you want to make sure that, you know, the points of need uh, or the pain points align for both of those groups and are being solved, you know, concurrently and in a way that satisfies both parties. And so, you know, like I said, we can't just look at, say, first-time homebuyers. We have to look at first-time homebuyers and how they interact with an agent. And the fact that that first-time homebuyer has probably been trained in their real estate experience as a renter, which is an entirely different process and, quite frankly, may have set that person up to fail as a home buyer. You know, it's an entirely different timeline, different expectations in terms of, you know, the amount of money needed to get through the transaction, you know, the um, things that you have to think about are much more complex in the buying process than in the renting process. And so it's a lot of moving parts that you're trying to, you know, coordinate and work together. So we try to make it a point to think about now real estate as an ecosystem, as opposed to I'm talking to you as a real estate agent or as a you know, first time home buyer or as someone who is, you know, downsizing into a, you know, senior community or something like that. And so it really has broadened, I think, the the way that, you know, the organization as a whole is thinking about consumers, how they're building product and how they're messaging um, you know, to people in this space. And like I said, I find it absolutely fascinating. I could go on for ages. About yeah, what people do in this space. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's super interesting. I'd love to get a peek at your how complex your segmentations are. <laughs> 
maybe offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not on this call for yeah. sure. Just as you're talking through the different, um, yeah, the different segments that you're you're thinking about and targeting and their different needs and, you know, where they are in their in their journey and their life journey and um, how they're thinking about home buying is so interesting. Um, but yeah, quite changing. Yeah. And changing. Like we've never seen this level of change this rapidly before. It's crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. Um, okay. So what role as you're thinking about your research methods and kind of uncovering these really key themes for your business, like what role does technology play? in your approaches day to day? It is, it's indispensable. Um, we use technology constantly to, to help us get our work done. I mean, it's how we, you know, how we connect with a lot of um, our, our audiences, whether it's real estate agents, whether it's um, like I said, those consumers, people who are looking for, you know, their next home, things along those lines. Um, and it gives us, a, a perspective in terms of how we think about what these folks are doing in ways that, you know, 20 years ago simply were not possible. You know, we can follow somebody's journey um, online as they go through, you know, trying to search for a home, for instance, or, um, you know, we use technology to actually interact with these folks. Um, we use um, a lot of, say, UX research tools that are very, very technology-based. You know, tell us about this. You know, things like eye-tracking um, tools. Sorry, I have a hiccup. <laughs> um, but, you know, not just that. You know, we've already talked a little bit about the, just the analytics that are possible now that hadn't been possible in the past. And technology has, is really what's enabled all that, you know, the processing power that's available and the fact that, you know, everybody's, you know, walking around with one of these little handy, um, you know, research uh, response devices in their hand all the time, you know, we can, we can reach people in ways that, that in the past, you know, had been something really you only dreamed about. And so I think we will continue to see technology co-evolve uh, with research methodologies and, you know, really drive what's possible next. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned earlier too, knowledge management being a big challenge before, yeah. right? Like technology just gets better and better, even just having shared folders and drives whereas before it was living on your own machine. Like what a difference in a, right, in a right. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's such an exciting time to mm -hmm. be in this space because the possibilities are limitless, you know, and you've already mentioned AI, but you know, that's going to do nothing but get better. And, um, you know, I am hoping at some point it takes some of the lift off of researchers, you know, to do things like collecting uh, data and figuring out how to maybe moderate a conversation so that, you know, we can really use researcher brain power to um, put things like that interpretation um, on the results and working with stakeholders to say, okay, how do we now implement this into, um, into product or marketing decisions in ways that, you know, 
we maybe can't right now because we do have to spend so much time doing things that at some point in the future may be able to be um, handled by technology tools. Um, like I said, I think it's very exciting and uh, will give us a ton more um, you know, information to work with. And again, like I said, you talk about those points to triangulate together. You know, it's like um, a Surat painting. You know, you've got all these dots in place and it gives us more dots to really flesh out that picture so that, you know, when you step back, you see this beautiful scene as opposed to all these little dots of color. Um, and it's coming, you know, we've got to be ready, ready to deal with it as researchers and how to work with it. For sure. And I love that sort of positive outlook. I know there's a lot of hesitancy oftentimes when it comes to automating certain tasks, but I find that, you know, thinking about it as like, hey, this is, these are the inefficient tasks that are going to come off my plate so that I can spend more time, you know, partnering with my stakeholders, understanding what problems they're trying to solve, be able to connect the dots for them. I love your description of the painting, right? Like up close, it's just a bunch of dots, but that creating that, that bigger picture and actually sharing that out with the people in a, in a, in a way that's going to help them understand very clearly what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like I said earlier, I've never been on a research team anywhere that has had all of the resources they need to get all of the questions answered done. And if you can get more efficient, you know, or get some of those more mundane tasks off of your plate, think of how many more questions you can answer, how much more involved you can be in developing, say, strategy, rather than, you know, trying to develop a discussion guide or, you know, something like that. Um, and so, like I said, I think it's very exciting and, um, you know, it's where we're going. We're, we have to be ready for it. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's great to hear your perspective and your experience. I can't thank you enough. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was very, it's like I said, always fun to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening in. We're going to be back next week. We're chatting with Vinesh uh, Krishnan um, from Research Defender. See you then.